six-week series called Not a Fan. Uh, Not a Fan is about this idea that Jesus doesn't call us merely to be fans of his. Uh, fans in terms of liking being associated with him without being fully committed to him. Jesus isn't looking just for fans. Instead, he says in Luke 9.23, that if anyone would come, come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for fully devoted followers who are willing to surrender everything to him, to go wherever he calls them to go, to do whatever he calls them to do, to be whoever he calls them to be. He's looking for followers. And I think when we look at this idea of following Christ and not merely uh, being fans of Christ, there are some misconceptions that can creep into our minds. Um, one of the misconceptions is that uh, Jesus raises the bar so high that he must be some harsh taskmaster um, who is just kind of standing there with his arms folded um, saying, come follow me. And, um, and then he's just waiting for us to slip up, to make a mistake. And then when we do, he's going he's gonna to scold us. He's going to hold that against us. He's going to be really, really upset with us. I mean, he does raise the bar very high in terms of following him. But I think that many times our perceptions of how he responds when we struggle or when we fail or even how, how we view what it means to follow him, many times these, um, these are misconceptions based on perhaps our own experience in our background, maybe with family members or with church, or just how um, really internalizing how our culture views God. Um, there's a children's Christmas song called Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And I think that this children's Christmas song pictures well how many people view God in terms of being some sort of harsh taskmaster? Um, I want to read you uh, the, the lyrics of the song, which depict how Jesus doesn't look at us. Um, the song starts out saying, You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. So it starts out with this message of, of some degree of fear in there. If you better watch out, Santa's coming, and, and if you don't do things right, if you don't have all your ducks in a row, something bad may happen. In fact, he's making a list, and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. And this is the view that many people have of God, that he is uh, up in heaven somewhere keeping some list of our rights and our wrongs, our, the do's and the don'ts, and, and we're really hoping that our good qualities outweigh our bad qualities, or else we may end up with a lump of coal, or even worse, in our lives. The song goes on to say, He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Now, as I said, this is how a lot of people view God that he is keeping a list. Uh, you better be good for goodness sake or else something bad may happen to you. And this is basically many people's theology of God. And so when they think of following Christ, they don't think of some uh, loving invitation to come follow him. They think instead of some list of rules that they need to live up to or some, again, harsh taskmaster who's, who's going to be really hard on them if they struggle somewhere along the line. Many times when we think about following Christ, we think about the rules in terms of we need to live up to this certain set of religious rules if we really want to follow him faithfully. I mean, that's the message in the song, isn't it? That you better be good. You better do what's right rather than what's naughty. 
But in reality, that's not what Jesus is looking for. He isn't looking for us to follow some set of religious rules. That's not how he defines what it means to follow him. When Jesus says, come follow me, he's looking for more of an intimate, personal relationship with him, a a relational connection rather than a rule-based connection. But again, many times when people think about following Christ, they think about the rules rather than the relationship. And so this morning I want to look in the Scripture together to see what Jesus has to say about how rules apply versus how he wants a relationship with us. And for this topic, I invite you to turn to, Ma- to Mark chapter 7. Uh, you, you can turn in your Bible if you brought one, if you would like to follow along but didn't bring a Bible. There are Bibles in the pews of the chairs in front of you. But we're going to be looking at the first few verses out of Mark 7. And this is a passage where Jesus has an up-close and personal encounter with some of the religious authorities of his day. Um, the, these are Pharisees. They, they are people who, um, who know all about God. They're great at following rules, but one of the ironic things is even though they know all these religious rules and they try hard to put them into practice in their lives, their rules actually end up pulling them farther away from God rather than drawing them closer to God. And so they're going to be a good case study for us today as we look at the role of rules in the idea of following Christ. So as we begin to look at this passage, will you please pray with me that God will give us insight into it. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you desire a relationship with us. And um, I know that it's all too easy to turn this relationship into a set of rules that we need to follow. And then when we don't live up to those rules, we feel a significant amount of guilt and shame. And so we pray that as we turn to this passage, as we examine our own lives in light of what you have to say to us, that you will help us to follow you in spirit and in truth um, the way you want to be followed rather than following in the way that we think we need to follow or that other people say we need to follow. May we follow you uh, the way that you want to be followed, Lord. And please guide us in this time that you will help us towards that goal. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you to follow along in Mark 7, beginning in verse 1, where Mark writes, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, and they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Now, Mark goes into a bit bit of a parenthesis here for a couple verses explaining the background of what's going on. He says in verse 3 that the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Verse 5, Mark goes back to the scene going on here. He says, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Now, this passage, I mean, contains quite a bit. It's it's talking about the the interaction going on between Jesus and the Jewish authorities of that day. Uh, And from this passage, I want to draw three different observations about rules Uh, in terms of how rules relate to following Christ. Um, And the first observation here is that rules can be an unnecessary burden in our lives. Rules can be an unnecessary burden. Uh, We see here at the beginning to set the context 
that there are Pharisees and other religious leaders who are there confronting Jesus. Uh, Pharisees were you know, like the religious elite of the day. Uh, they were kind of like the Green Berets or the Navy Seals of Judaism in terms of there were very high standards to become a Pharisee. Um, they were well known for their deep knowledge of Scripture. They were the expert theologians of their day. Uh, they were especially known for their, for their strict observance of the Jewish law. And so they were the religious elite of the day, and they became very concerned when this new religious teacher named Jesus came along and began to threaten their status quo on religion. And so some of them decided to go from Jerusalem, the capital city, down to Galilee, a, a journey of many miles, in order to see what Jesus is teaching, and then ultimately in order to confront him, to try to quiet him down about this alternative view that he has that's a little different than the way that they practice their religion. And soon after they get there, they find something, a point of contention with Jesus and his disciples. They see Jesus and his disciples eating a meal, and they, they notice that Jesus and his disciples did not wash their hands in the right way before the meal. Now, you, you may be thinking, okay, that seems awfully trivial. Um, and besides, isn't it good to wash your hands before dinner? Um, odds are good if you're a parent or a child. Uh, you've heard many times in your house uh, that you need to wash your hands before dinner. And you think, that makes sense. I mean, you've probably heard that tens if not hundreds or thousands of times in your lifetime that you need to wash your hands before you eat. And so it would make sense, especially in that culture where they don't eat off individual plates like we do. Uh, they have one large plate or bowl or dish that would be in the center of the table, and they would all be eating off that same dish with their hands. And so it would make sense, wouldn't it, that you, you'd want to wash your hands for hygiene purposes before you eat from that dish. I mean, I know if, if I were sitting there, I wouldn't be happy to see someone else, um, I mean, coming in off the street from working with cattle or something like that, dipping their hands right in there without washing them. But that's not what the Jews are, what the Pharisees are concerned about here. They're not concerned about basic hygiene. Instead, they're concerned about some traditions, some, some religious rules that have been built up through the years that aren't biblical, but they've been passed down with significant authority. And they're, they're, own, they're the Pharisees' own rules, but here Jesus and his disciples are not going along with them. And so they raise some uh, points of contention with Jesus and his disciples. But what we need to understand is that the Pharisees and these other Jewish leaders at that time were experts in making rule upon rule upon rule, rules that weren't ever in Scripture. I mean, it's really a proliferation of religious rules. And we see here in verses 3 and 4 that Mark describes some of these rules that are taking place. And he says, he gives the example of not washing their hands. It's that ceremonial washing that, the, that Jesus and his disciples didn't do. But they, Mark says at the end of verse 3 that that is a tradition of the elders. It's a tradition that's been built up over time that's eventually become a bit of a norm or a standard for these Jewish leaders. But now they're expecting everyone else to live up to that rule, even though it's certainly not a biblical rule. And it says um, later on in verse 4 that they observed many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And they had hundreds of other traditions and rules that they expected themselves and others to follow as well. And so they built a lot of rules into the way that they practiced their religion. And I'll say that, realistically, it's quite tempting to want to build rules into what we do. I mean, rules make things a little bit more clear-cut. They cut out some of the ambiguity. Uh, they try to standardize the practices of what we do. 
But I want you to imagine what it would be like if you came into church this morning and suddenly we had a nice long set of rules posted out in the lobby area and also in your bulletin. How would you respond if we had rules about how you're expected to act here? Imagine, for instance, that some of these rules are things like, okay, you have to get to church on time. When you come into the sanctuary, you can't talk to anyone. Uh, you have to take notes during the message. You have to fill out your connection card, put it in the offering plate. Uh, you need to be friendly to those around you. I mean, if we listed those rules, um, on one hand, those are pretty straightforward things that majority of us probably do anyway. But I would say odds are good that if we posted those as a set of rules that you're expected to follow, many of us would probably bristle against that pretty hard. Especially if we began adding some other rules that are less commonly followed um, to that list as well. Things like, okay, if you want to come to church, you need to wear a certain type of clothing. Um, if you want to come to our church, you need to read a certain type of Bible because the other Bibles, other translations are looked down upon. I mean, we could list any number of other rules, but odds are good if we started listing a bunch of rules, even if some of them are decent practices to have in our lives, you'd see people begin to push back quite a bit because we naturally don't like to have a lot of rules set up. But it is tempting to want to create a lot of rules um, just to standardize what we're doing and to try to uh, promote certain types of behavior or practices. The rules oftentimes aren't the healthiest. And, I mean, they, if anything, they, they create in us a desire to want to break the rules and see if we can get away with it. But churches and Christian schools and Christian families are well known for creating a lot of rules. Some of these rules are written, some are unwritten. Uh, let me give you an example of some of the rules I've heard uh, that may or may not come from Scripture. Actually, I would say that majority of these, if not all these, are not found in Scripture. Uh, they may have some biblical basis to them a little bit, but they're all man-made rules um, that I've heard people say that Christians should hold to. For instance, some people say that Christians should not drink alcohol or should not smoke or that Christians should not watch R-rated movies or some others will go a little bit farther and say that Christians shouldn't watch PG-13 rated movies. Or even some people will say Christians shouldn't watch any movies at all because they're of the devil. I've heard some Christians say that, that we should never, ever drive over the speed limit. I've heard other Christians say that, um, that we shouldn't go out to eat at restaurants on Sundays because that breaks the Sabbath and we're, we're causing hardship to the servers to make them serve us food on, on Sundays. I've heard Christians say that, that we shouldn't listen to rock music. Even if it has Christian-based lyrics, we shouldn't listen to rock music because the drums and the guitars are of the devil, that, that, that they still carry that influence that comes from secular rock music. And I mean, I've seen books and I've, I've heard people say that you should never listen to rock music, even if it has Christian lyrics. And some people say you can only read this per particular version of the Bible because all the other versions are heresy. Or that you need to wear your Sunday best to church. That's, I mean, some people will pull that basically as a biblical standard. Or that you can't wear hats in church. Or even that you need to have a quiet time every day in terms of reading scripture and praying. As I said, not all these are bad things at all. I mean, some, some I definitely don't, many of these I definitely don't agree with, at least in holding to the letter of the law. But it points to how easy it is to build up rules to try to get some sort of standard of, of behavior that some people think is Christian behavior. But many times, these, these rules that we build up, these religious rules, basically become burdens 
on people that don't draw people closer to God. They, they become burdensome expectations. And, and Jesus spoke very strongly against piling rules on people, especially when they don't draw people closer to God. Back in Matthew chapter 23, he's um, delivering a sermon that's sometimes known as the seven woes. This is a sermon that's delivered to the Jewish leaders of the day who have piled rule upon rule. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, Jesus says that these religious leaders tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. He's talking about how easy it is to, to, to put expectations on others based on our own rules that are not clearly biblical rules, but we still expect others to live up to some certain standard. It ends up just weighing them down and actually pulling them away from Christ. And here at the end of Mark 7, in fact, Jesus speaks very strongly against these religious leaders and calls them hypocrites. They're people who have an external form of, of uh, religiosity, of following the religious rules, but their hearts aren't really engaged. I mean, again, those rules become uh, something that may actually pull people away from Christ rather than drawing them to Christ. So that's the first observation from this passage, that rules can be unnecessary burdens. Another thing that we see in here is that rules don't inspire grace. Instead, instead rules inspire judgment and, and, and condemnation on others around us. Look here at the, the Pharisees' reaction in verse 5. And they're, they're asking Jesus a question of, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? This wasn't a mere question. It was more of an accusation saying, look, you're, you're supposed to be this great religious teacher. How come you don't follow these rules that, that everyone knows are the right way to do things? And they're, they're accusing Jesus of not, of, of not living up to their religious rules, and it's true that he wasn't. But, but as we, if, if we elevate religious rules in terms of this is the norm of how we ought to follow Christ, it does make us more judgmental towards others around us. It doesn't uh, make us tend towards giving people grace. It makes us very inflexible towards others. Um, a number of years ago, there was a man named John who walked into a bank. He was just dressed in plain clothes, jeans, I imagine some sort of button-up shirt or sweater or something like that. Um, John walked into a bank and wanted to uh, take care of some business transaction there. It was a bank he'd been out for a number of years. And he walked in there, and the teller told him that the person he needs to see for this particular business transaction is not there on that particular day. So he'd have to come back tomorrow. And John said, okay, that's all right. I'm willing to come back tomorrow. But could you please validate my parking pass so that I don't have to pay? You see, this bank was connected with a parking structure that in order to um, go to the bank, you had to take out one of those tickets, and then, um, then they would validate it for you if you uh, performed some sort of business transaction there at the bank, and then you wouldn't have to pay uh, anything to park there. And so John asked if you could please validate my parking pass. But the teller said, no, I actually can't do that because you didn't perform a business transaction here at the bank. So John said, well, I was going to, but the right person wasn't here, so couldn't you just please validate it so I don't have to pay uh, for this? And she said, no, rules are rules. Uh, we have a policy that we cannot validate the parking pass unless you perform some business transaction here. And so he said, well, okay, I'll perform a business transaction. I would like to close my account. And, and the part of the story they haven't shared yet 
is John's last name. You may or may not know his last name, or you may not recognize it. His name is John Akers. He was uh, the chairman and president of IBM Computers for many years. And he, his account that he closed was worth one and a half million dollars. And you can see what, what happened when that teller was a bit inflexible. Yes, she was living up to the letter of law of he hadn't officially performed some sort of business transaction there, but that, that rule made her inflexible, and, and she was holding so strongly to that rule that it ended up costing them a very significant customer over some petty difference um, in whether or not he had officially performed a business transaction there. So he ended up performing that business transaction of closing his account, and then the teller went along with the rule and was willing to validate his parking pass. But you can see that's a little illustration of the consequences at times of holding so fast to rules and being uh, inflexible and, and not showing grace. It's incredibly easy if you are focused on upholding certain religious rules to hold so fast to them that we struggle to show grace when grace is needed. There's a story in John chapter 8 that's one of the most popular stories in all of Scripture. And it's a story that many of you are probably aware of and probably cherish in your heart. It's a story of a woman caught in adultery. And it's a story, again, that, that pertains to Jesus and these religious leaders of his day. I want to read uh, this story, which shows partly on one side the inflexibility that can come from wanting to adhere strictly to religious rules, and on the other side how grace can win over uh, even the harshest of rules. John chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, the setting here is Jesus is in the temple courts. He's teaching a variety of people there. When all of a sudden there's some wrestling of people rushing into the temple courts and, and they look up and see these religious leaders bringing in this woman who's just been caught in the act of adultery. I mean, I imagine that she had shame written all over, all over her face. She probably couldn't make eye contact with anyone. She may have even still been simply wrapped in a sheet or in a blanket. And she's standing there, there before Jesus and the Pharisees say, Now what do you say, Jesus? Um, or actually, backing up a little bit. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the, law, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus was writing. It's not recorded here. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that I think has some validity to it that he may, may have been writing words on the ground, maybe listing out uh, lists of, uh, of sins that these Pharisees were guilty of. And I think um, this may point to what happened next. It says after he stood up, after writing on the ground for a while, it says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the women, woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. 
go now and leave your life of sin. See, according to the religious rules, and this was actually a biblical rule from the Old Testament, this woman deserved the death penalty because of this adultery. And that's what the Pharisees wanted. They wanted to uphold that religious rule. But Jesus gave grace. Jesus said, you know what? Yes, you've definitely sinned here. And he didn't say just go out and keep doing exactly what you're doing. He does say, go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. But he offers grace. And this should be the default perspective of those who want to follow Christ, that that Christ followers should be grace people. We should be gospel people who are willing to give grace to anyone who is in need of it, rather than bringing down the hammer every time we see someone breaking some religious rule, whether it's in the Bible or whether it's some religious rule that we have made up or that our Christian community has made up. Actually, I mean, the word evangelical, which is in the name of our church, Frieden's Evangelical Church, Evangelical literally means gospel people. So followers of Christ are to be people who are giving grace, uh, giving the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. So we saw, first of all, that rules can be an unnecessary burden, and then that rules uh, don't inspire grace. The third big problem with rules is that rules drive people away from Jesus. Rules drive people away from Jesus. Jesus closed out this passage in Mark 7 just by telling the Pharisees how um, they, they honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. I mean, they're following these traditions and these rules, man-made rules rather than really following God. They aren't growing closer to God, and they're preventing others from growing closer to God too. Really what they're focused on is more of an exterior show that makes them look religious rather than being wholeheartedly devoted to God internally. Again, back to Matthew 23, that seven woes sermon, Jesus has some strong words for these religious leaders. He says in verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. What he's saying is that these religious leaders, even though they have rule upon rule, They themselves are not entering eternal life. They're not entering a life-saving relationship with God. And they're also, by piling rules upon other people, they're preventing others from coming to Christ as well. I think that this is one reason why we see many, especially younger people in our our nation today, leaving church and leaving the Christian faith um, very quickly because they've grown accustomed to a church or to a family or to a Christian school that's focused on the rules of Christianity rather than focus on the relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, near the end of um, the Not a Fan book, and by the way, this series is based on a book called Not a Fan uh, by Kyle Eidelman. Um, near the end of the book, there's a story I want to share with you uh, this morning. It's actually in the, uh, in the videos as well. There's a six-week DVD series on the Not a Fan study. Um, we have about 100 people in the church going through that series right now in our life groups. And in this week's DVDs, you'll actually see a little tidbit about this story. Um, So I'm kind of spoiling about a minute and a half of it for you. Um, But I feel like this story is so profound and so powerful that I would be negligent to not share it. Because after I read the book, Not a Fan, this is the the line, or the story contains the line that stuck out to me more than anything else in the rest of the book. Kyle Eidelman, who's a real-life pastor down in in Kentucky, um, he tells a story of how he was speaking 
to a, a group of Christians down in Houston, Texas. And afterwards, a man came up to him who looked like he was a cowboy down there in Texas. And this man had some tears in his eyes. And this man began to share how he had a daughter who had run away from God and was making some very bad decisions in her life. And Kyle said that he's heard this type of story many, many times. And most of the times, at the end of that story, um, the parent will ask, what can I do? What went wrong in her life? But this particular man who was talking to Kyle in this instance down in Houston didn't ask any of those types of questions. After he told the story, he made a statement that Kyle Eidelman records in the book and in the videos, and it's the statement that's stuck in my mind uh, to this day from that book. He said, we raised our daughter in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. We raised our daughter in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. There's a significant difference there. Church definitely can help point you to Christ, but one of the things that happens when we just point someone to the church and to the religious activities and the religious rules is that there's no guarantee they're actually growing closer to Christ. I mean, they may be getting up on Sunday mornings to come to church. They may even be reading the Bible on a somewhat regular basis because their parents want them to. They may be attending youth group. They may pray before meals. They may wear the Christian t-shirts. But it's very easy in that context to get focused on fulfilling the religious rules. And then at some point, they get so burdened down to those rules, so disillusioned that they walk away. This man said, we raised our daughter in church but we didn't raise her in Christ. Being a follower of Christ is not about following a bunch of religious rules. It's about pointing people to Jesus Christ, about finding life in him and, and really having a relationship with him rather than just submitting to a bunch of religious rules. There's a concept in mathematics uh, known as a bounded set versus a centered set, and I think this gives us a good picture uh, of rules-based Christianity versus Christianity that's based on following Christ in relationship. A bounded set is this idea that you have boundaries uh, that define what's inside and what's outside um, this, this set of boundaries. And, and it, there's very clear boundaries there. I mean, in, in religious circles, this is oftentimes set apart by certain rules that, that clarify, okay, are you inside the Christian faith or are you outside? What happens is in, in this bounded set type of Christianity is we put up a lot of rules to clarify, are you a Christian or are you not? Are you following Christ or are you not? And people end up focusing on those rules, and what, that, what all those rules end up doing is pushing a lot of people away from Christ. Now, now the other thing that we're talking about here is not a bounded set, but a centered set. And a centered set is more what it means to follow Christ. It's where we don't set up a whole bunch of religious rules, but the focus is on what's right there at the center. The focus is on getting as close to the center as we can rather than simply getting inside the set of boundaries. Um, notice in that picture, uh, there isn't a clear set of boundaries there. There aren't a lot of rules set up to, de to delineate who's in and who's out. But the goal in centered set type of Christianity is that people are taking steps towards Christ. Um, and it's not about rules. It's about that relationship of growing closer and closer to Him. And regardless of where someone starts, if they take a step towards Christ— that's a significant thing to have happen. And so we as Christians are called not to set up a whole bunch of rules to figure out, okay, who's in, who's out, who can look the most religious. We're called to, to follow Christ and to have that relationship with him and just to point people to follow him. Don't get caught up in all the religious rules and do's and don'ts. Just seek to follow him. 
Now on this topic of wanting to see people follow Christ, and I want to point out something that we have starting next week. It's called the 40 Days of Prayer. Uh, many of you, if you've been here in previous years around this time of year leading up to Easter, you're familiar with the 40 Days of Prayer. Uh, it's something we do during what many churches celebrate as Lent. It's that 40 days leading up to Easter, and that starts next Sunday. And this is 40 days that we're setting aside just to pray. Uh, well, we have other things going on, but one of the things we're doing is to pray for people around us that they will come to know Christ, that they will grow as followers of Christ. And, and so what we're asking is if you would prayerfully consider uh, picking out five people you'd like to pray for during those 40 days between next Sunday and Easter, just pray that they would become followers of Christ. Now, when you hear this, you may think, okay, even that sounds like a rule. You're supposed to pray for 40 days. I mean, isn't that a rule? Well, one of the things I understand, rules aren't inherently bad. The problem is when we get, become so focused on rules. And, and realistically, I mean, if you miss a day here and there, it's not a big deal. I mean, someone who's really focused on fulfilling the rules will feel really guilty or, or a lot of shame if they miss a day. The focus isn't on hitting every single day even though that, I mean, that's a nice goal, but the focus is simply that we want to see people around us coming to know Christ and following him. And prayer is a powerful way that we can point people in that direction. And so I encourage you between now and next Sunday to be thinking about who would you like to be praying for during that time. And we'll have a special time during next week's service uh, to, to celebrate uh, the beginning of this 40 days of prayer. Now in closing today, I want to point out three followers' principles that can help us to not live by religious rules, but to have more of that relationship in terms of following Christ. The first follower principle, principle for us is that we need to emphasize biblical principles, but be flexible on the specific application of these principles. Now, this may sound awfully confusing when you first hear it, but what I'm basically saying here is there are some certain large-scale principles that are important to live out in our lives, and we don't want to forsake those principles. An example could be the biblical principle that you need to value Scripture and get it into your life. The application of how we actually do that differs, though, from person to person. We need to be flexible on how different people get Scripture into their lives. Some people really want to get Scripture in their lives by reading it 30 minutes to an hour to two hours every day of their lives. And that's great. Some other people um, are a little bit more sporadic than that. I mean, it's good to be consistent, but some other people think, okay, I can't spend that much time every day, but several times a week I'm setting aside some time to do that. Some people really like uh, devotional books that they can read. Some people really despise devo devotional books. They don't want to do that at all. Some people think, okay, these certain translations are better than others, so I need to follow these. Some people have no problem reading a wider variety of translations. Some people in their reference for the Bible say that, you know what, you can't set the Bible on the floor and you can't um, put it on a table with anything on top of it. I've actually been reprimanded one time uh, when I was in a Bible study and I sat the Bible on the floor next to me. A person told me you can't do that. That's irreverent. You need to pick up God's holy word and keep it off the floor. These are applications of this principle of valuing the Bible and getting it into your life. We need to be very flexible in how we apply these principles, recognizing that different people do it different ways. We need to be careful not to set up religious rules on saying everyone needs to do it this way. But we still need to try to live out those principles, in this case, valuing the Bible. So the first follower's principle is to emphasize biblical principles but allow flexibility on the specific application of those principles. A second follower's principle for us is um, to read the Bible 
as a love story from Jesus to you. The Bible contains a lot of great information. It does contain a lot of commands and a lot of rules and a lot of instructions for how to live that can be helpful. But this is not the primary focus of the Bible. The primary focus of the Bible is to demonstrate and to communicate God's love for us and how we can grow in that loving relationship with Him. And, and it really makes a difference in how we're reading the Bible, whether we're reading it just to, um, just to get information and just to get instructions for life or for reading it in order to grow in our love for Him. Uh, back in the summer of 2004, um, Shelley and I were dating at that point very close to engagement. Um, that was kind of a difficult summer for us because I was spending seven weeks in Brazil on a missions trip. And as we were close to engagement, you can imagine how hard it is to be apart for seven weeks, separated by 10,000 miles. And so we had this great idea of keeping journals of our summers that we each would write in the journal consistently. And then when we got back, we'd exchange them and read what each other did. We were also in communication through the summer via email and phone. But these were very special things for us. And on uh, Valentine's Day of this last week, we were talking about um, just how God's brought us together through our lives. And we talked about these journals. Some we actually read parts of these journals just to reminisce of what's in there. These journals contain a lot of information about what happened during that summer, a lot of content. And you could read it, read these journals simply to see, okay, what did Brandon and Shelley do that summer? But if you read it just for that content and that information of what we did, you'd be missing out on the main point behind these journals. One of the main points behind here is the care that was growing and the love that we had for each other. And you can see that coming through here as we express our, our care for each other, as we express how we miss each other, as we express how much we enjoyed being able to talk on the phone or the email. I mean, these journals, you can read them for information. You can read them to see the love story that was unfolding there. It's the same way with the Bible. That God wants us to read the Bible not just for information, not just uh, for application to our daily lives with rules and instructions. But he wants us to grow in our love for Him through the Bible. So read the Bible as a love story from Jesus to you. And finally, the final, fo final follower principle is to give grace. Give grace to others. Give grace to yourself. If we are focused on religious rules and up on upholding them, it's going to be very easy to feel a lot of shame and guilt when we struggle to uphold them. But Jesus gives us grace. And we saw that very clearly in today's passage out of John 8. We need to give that same grace to ourselves and to others. To not try to hold others and ourselves to these strict, dogmatic, religious rules to seek to follow Jesus more faithfully uh, in that relationship with him. Now, in closing, some of you may have come from a background uh, where you were subject to a lot of religious rules, maybe in a church, maybe in your family, maybe in a Christian school, some other setting. And you may know personally that burden of trying to live up to a lot of religious rules rather than simply following Christ uh, relationally. So in closing, I want to read a couple verses out of Matthew chapter 11. Jesus there says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus wants us to come follow him. He even says in this passage, take my yoke upon you. The yoke is a picture of being united with him, going wherever he goes. But it's a light yoke. He's not going to weigh us down with a bunch of religious rules that we need to follow. What he's looking for is a relationship of being devoted to him and getting to know him better. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us the privilege of knowing you. And I pray that you will help us to um, focus more and more on the relationship with you rather than on the religious rules that are so tempting to follow, Lord. Um, help us, Lord, to, to give grace to ourselves, to others. Um, help us, Lord, to receive your grace into our lives. Help us to grow as followers who are focused on you and are calling other people to know you as well. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.